today. Uh, we're going to continue on this side with our series in the book of Romans. I called it When in Rome. How many of you have been to Rome before? One person, okay. Must be something spectacular to go and visit Rome. When Paul wrote to the church in Rome 2,000 years ago, he hadn't been there. He's writing to a church that he didn't plant, to people. He knew some of the people there. We see that in the end of the, of the book. He names a number of people who he knows by name, knows who they are, knows about their lives. But he had never been there when he wrote this letter to this church in Rome, far, far away. It was one of his goals to be able to stand before the emperor and preach the gospel in Rome on his way to Spain. And this letter to this church, 16 chapters long, is viewed by most as like the, the most significant, um, most clear presentation of Christianity in the entire Bible. So if you, if you have, some people say if they had a choice of just having one book of the Bible, they would pick the book of Romans because it covers so much, so vast and so clear where Paul is explaining what it means. What is the good news of Jesus? What does it mean for our lives? And so on. And he gets into so many things there. So we're into part four already, uh, around chapter four, chapter five, and I'm calling this message Joy Robbers, Joy Robbers. And you'll see why in a few minutes. Uh, so picking up at the end of Romans chapter 4. And we saw last week the whole argument that Paul puts out there, which was a huge um, piece of news for that audience. The problem that we have is we don't grasp the significance today. But it's a huge piece of news where he's saying that whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew, whether you're a Gentile, a Greek, or you've got the law and you're, you know, circumcised and all of this religious stuff and Jewish stuff back in that time, regardless of that, you have a problem. You still are far from God. You still need salvation. So you can't claim your religious background. You can't say we're better than another group. Everybody's got the problem, according to Paul, and everybody is kind of infected in every way, in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts. We have this problem that needs fixing, and we can't fix it. And he goes through the argument after argument to try and explain this to people because he knows there's going to be pushback from people when they hear this. And he finishes chapter 4, what we call chapter 4 anyway, um, by bringing the greatest example he can, Abraham. So he goes all the way back and he says, look, even Abraham was not justified by God by the things he did, but by his faith. And he goes all the way back there to Genesis where it says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's not Abraham did such and such, but Abraham believed. And then afterward came the whole covenant of circumcision and all of this. And after this came the law of Moses and so on and so on. But what he's saying is, it's his faith 
that credit was credited to him as righteousness by God, not the things that he did. And so this is his big example, and he finishes this chapter, and again, I say chapter and verse is our doing, okay? Paul didn't write chapter and verse. He, the, the manuscripts don't work that way. We put that in there by convention. And it's important when you see, when you go from chapter 4 to chapter 5, not to break the thought. So chapter 4, at the end, in our, in our uh, Bibles, he was delivered over to death for our sins. That he is Jesus, right? He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been, and I'll, I'll put it on pause there. So he, this is like a huge, huge pivot moment in the book. He goes through all of this from chapter 1, talking about the good news and the bad news, and into chapter 2 and chapter 3, sin has permeated all of our lives in every way. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. He was delivered over. It doesn't matter if you're Abraham. You're justified by faith. He was delivered over to death for our sins. Now, it's interesting that most people today are not going to have a problem, at least, with the idea that Jesus died. Now, maybe the idea that Jesus died for their sins, they may challenge. But most people are not going to challenge the death of Jesus. I mean, there's nothing difficult to believe about the idea that Jesus was crucified. But there's more to it than this, of course, right? He was delivered over to death for our Sins. This is the reason why Jesus died. It's a substitution, an atonement, a covering for our sins. And he was raised to life. That's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's a miracle. That's the supernatural part. He was raised to life for our justification. Now then. What is the impact of that on our lives? Now that he has gone through the whole thing, even bringing up Abraham as his, as his argument peaks, that you cannot be saved by the things that you do. God will not call you righteous just because you act a certain way. He will call you righteous because you believe in, in him and specifically in Jesus, then it will be credited to you as righteousness. He goes through the whole thing. What does this mean? How does this influence your life? And 20 centuries later, some may say, big deal. Let's say Jesus died on the cross. Let's say Jesus rose from the dead. Of what consequence is this for me in my practical life? Therefore, since we have been. Wow, if you're, if you're the we there, if you're the audience that he's talking to, you're coming from two different camps. This is the Jewish camp. In the Jewish camp, you have a whole system of offerings and atonement and how do you deal with sin and other things. So if you, if you look at the, the book of Leviticus, and I talked about this last week, I love the book of Leviticus, okay? If you read the book of Leviticus, it starts with offerings. 
How do you do this offering and this offering and this offering? I mean, folks, you've got a grain offering. You've got a pigeon. You've got uh, uh, an ox. You've got the sheep. You've got a goat. You've got turtle doves. You've got grain offerings. You've got drink offerings. You've got trespass offerings, guilt offerings, peace offerings, a whole elaborate system. And some of that system is to atone for sin. They would, they would use the tabernacle for this when the tabernacle was standing. And they had this whole system annually where this, the priest would go in there and he would use the blood of a certain animal and the working with the Ark of the Covenant, a very careful, very delicate procedure. And this would cover his unintentional sin and symbolically the sin of his nation. And then they had this whole system with a scapegoat and they would, they would symbolically place the sins on this goat and then send this goat out into the wilderness. I mean, it's very, very detailed. It's very, very elaborate, this whole thing. And then they, they get their temple and in the Old Testament, we see a first temple built by Solomon, it's destroyed. We see a second temple uh, built under uh, Ezra and Zerubbabel and these folks, and eventually this is going to be destroyed uh, in the year 70, and this, this is what they did in that temple. They, th this was a whole system of offerings. Now, today, it's interesting, you know, we, you, in church life, you, you hear about this all the time, a passage that's a famous one. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins from Hebrews chapter 9. And today, just as it was 2,000 years ago, folks, I mean, it, today it's not dissimilar. What the Jewish people will say today, in particular the rabbis who try and attack Christianity, I, I, like, I actually like watching them. Okay, and what I would suggest to you, only if you have the, only if you're at the place where you can listen to someone challenge Christi Christianity, and you're not going to be shaken, because these folks are really, really smart, and I'm stunned, uh, a couple of them, their knowledge of the scripture rivals most Christians that I've seen, even many pastors would be put to shame by the knowledge of the scriptures, even the New Testament that some of these folks have. And they will challenge Christianity using the Bible. And they will try and say, you Christians, you're off. This is a, this is a false belief system. This is a cult. This is this, this is that. What they will say is, you're wrong. Atonement was not achieved exclusively by the shedding of the blood of animals. So you're wrong. And what you do is you say that your Jesus atones for the sins of the world, and this is wrong. You're putting a human being as a sacrifice. This is nonsense. And even in the Old Testament, this was not true. Uh, partially, they're right. There's many different ways to be forgiven in the Old Testament. And even atonement for sin was not always achieved by the sacrifice of an animal or by the shedding of blood. Read the book of Leviticus, and you'll see. However, when Jesus comes on the scene, what he's saying and what the authors of the New Testament are saying and what they gave their lives for is to say that all of it, the whole sacrificial system, 
all those offerings, the blood, the not blood, you know, for, for, for them it was, well, you repent, you pray, you do good works, and that's atonement. Even today they'll say that. You don't need this Jesus, you just need to repent and pray and do good works, and hopefully it'll go well for you in the end. This is the line that they have today. And they will argue from the scripture to try and justify this point. Even back then, people had a major issue with the idea that here's Jesus claiming to be the Messiah and he's going to die and shed blood for the sins of the world. And here's, here's Paul, who's a, a persecutor of the church, who has this incredible transformation and he runs around saying this and Peter and, and, and John and the apostles and these people giving their lives for what? To say something that in their time would be quite, quite controversial. But it, for them, they're saying, listen, he came, he died, and he rose from the dead. And this changes everything. All of those sacrifices, all of those systems, all of those things, not good enough. Inferior to the sacrifice, the one-time sacrifice of atonement of Jesus on the cross. They're all inferior. You can try and follow all your laws that you want. You will fail to follow all the laws because you have an issue of sin and you cannot change it. You can't work your way out of it. You can't figure out a system to beat it. You can't stop it from taking over your life. And what, what Paul is doing and what the gospel is saying is that all of it, the whole system to the Jew, it's all inferior. It's not good enough. Because if it were good enough, then you could boast and you could say, aha, I did it. I did it myself. I worked my way into salvation. I follow the laws and all 600 some odd of them. I told you last week, try and follow some of those laws today. You'll get arrested and thrown into prison. Folks, it's not, and this is what the gospel is saying. To the ultra-religious, to the ultra-righteous, to the ultra-Jewish, it's not good enough. And to the, the Gentile who's used to worshiping Caesar as Lord and God, who's used to saying Caesar, the emperor, is the son of God. The, across the Roman Empire, that's the standard back then. You worship the emperor that you allied yourself to the emperor. He's the son of God. To that, to that Gentile, who's probably most of the people back then were slaves, if they could even read. To them who were used to idolatry and worshiping a, 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 a system, worshiping a, a Caesar as a god. To them, the god of the Old Testament, the god of the Jews, is reaching out to them and saying, you too can be included in the promise of salvation. You too. It's not for circumcised people. It's not for Jewish people exclusively. It's for everyone. Because you're in the same boat as they are, and they're in the same boat as you are. It doesn't matter what your background. It doesn't matter what your religious view. It doesn't, all of it is insignificant in the sense it's inferior to what Jesus has done he's reaching out to you the Jew he's reaching out to you the Gentile so all of this is kind of 
is, is summed up in this statement. He was delivered to death for our sins. He's raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been. And he continues into chapter 5, verse 1. That's why I don't like the break there. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Implication. Before you weren't at peace with God, before you were at war with God, before you're in conflict with God, now because of what Jesus has done on the cross and because of his resurrection from the dead, you have peace with God through him. And through him we gain access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Peace with God. Wow, that's, that's something, folks. I mean... Here you have the, Paul saying in Ephesians, you are by nature objects of wrath. You're born, in a sense, in conflict with God. You're born with your back up against God. And here you have God doing the work to give you peace with him. I would challenge you to tell me if you know of any religion, philosophy, belief system, cult even, any of them that has this as their framework where the deity in the system, the God of the system, sets the penalty for sin and then pays it. Where the God goes through the punishment that the people are supposed to go through. Tell me one. I don't know of any. All of the monotheistic religions that we have, and there are only really two major ones, Judaism and Islam, all, both of them are you work, you work, you work. In Judaism, you repent, you pray, you do good works, you hope it all goes well. In Islam, not dissimilar. You work, you show your, you, you, you show your, your seriousness, you show your devotion, you pray X times a day, you give to the poor, you do this, you do that, you don't do this, you don't do that, and hopefully in the end, the scales will tip your way. Uh, the, the cults, the same way. I mean, you work, you work, you work. In the Eastern thought, if they do believe in the, in the Eastern religions that do believe in gods or, or many gods, you're still doing work to appease those gods. But here in Christianity, you have this setup where God sets the penalty and God comes down and pays it, where you can't do anything in order to achieve it. And now you can have peace with him because of the work that he does. I do not know of any religious system that teaches this, not one. It's completely different than whatever else is out there to choose. But again, what's the point of all this and how does it play out in your life today in the 21st century? You say, what's this got to do with joy robbers? Well, we'll get there in a second. He says, because of what has happened, because of what Jesus has done, you have peace with God and then a few things happen, specifically a couple of things, Romans 5, verses 2 and 3. Let us rejoice, or in some translations, we glory in, or let us glory in. Let us rejoice. I like this particular translation. Let us rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoice, hope. 
Let us rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now you are not his enemy, and there's no enmity between you and God anymore. So let us rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so. Let us rejoice in our sufferings. Oh, can you see it? Yeah, okay, I'm not blocking it. In our sufferings. This is, I mean, this comes out of left field, folks. Like, it would be easy for him to just continue the thought, let us rejoice in the glory of God. Let us rejoice in new life. Let us rejoice. In, I mean, pick something positive. But he lines this up on purpose. And he says, let us rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Ah, but not only so, because now you have the opportunity. I mean, this news is so good that you have the opportunity to rejoice in your sufferings. So here's, here's what it says. Rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us what we sang about today wow so the first thing that comes into your mind is this is like is this sadistic? What is it? Rejoice in your sufferings? I mean, there's things in, in Christian life, in, in what we see, for example, the life of Jesus. What does he say? Love your, well, love your, starts with an E, <laughs> enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Jesus says. Love your enemies instinctively you don't want to love your enemies. Instinctively you want to get revenge on your enemies. You want to hate your enemies. They're your enemies. They hate you. They want the worst for you. You're supposed to love them. This is very counter instinct. This is very counter to what we feel. And here you have Paul saying something. Rejoice in your sufferings. Now be careful. He's not saying this in a, oh, I just enjoy suffering so much. Just, I just want to suffer, you know, I just, I, sickness is just really, I enjoy being suffer, I, just, suffering, you just love it. This is not what he's saying at all, folks. He's saying, look, because of what Jesus has done, even your sufferings have, God can work those things, and you can look at those things in a completely different way because of this great news of Jesus's death and resurrection. And look how he does it. He says, rejoice in your suffering because suffering produces perseverance. So when you suffer, and he doesn't explain what kind of suffering here, he doesn't outline it, he doesn't detail it. Presumably it's got a broad, broad scope then. The suffering leads to, he says, perseverance perseverance that means you keep on going and going you keep on trying you persevere 
you stay at it, you stick to it. Suffering leads to perseverance in Christian thought. This is very different. In a lot of people's minds, suffering leads to quit, give up, stop. He says, no, suffering produces perseverance. And what does perseverance produce? Character, character. The person suffered, but the person didn't quit. They went through it. They pushed through it. They kept on going. They kept on believing. They kept on keeping on. And you see, wow, that person's a person of character. They've got strong, strong character. And what does character produce? Hope, hope. Remember in the first verse, he says, let us rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, even suffering can lead to hope. When looked at and when experienced with a certain perspective, let us rejoice in our suffering. So suffering comes, and I choose to say, wait a second, this suffering can be, I can turn this on its head. This suffering is not going to beat me. I read something in John 16 this week, which kind of birthed this, this message. Jesus talking to the apostles before his execution on the cross, and he's telling them it's going to happen. They, they still kind of don't get it. He talks about going away and coming back. And this is what he says, John 16, you will weep and mourn, while the world rejoices. So what he's saying there is when, when I die on that cross, the world is going to be happy about that. You won't be. You will weep and mourn, but the world, that system that's opposed to God, that's opposed to Jesus, ultimately under the dominance of Satan, of the evil one. The world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy, the hope of his resurrection. Now is your time to grieve, and he uses the illustration of a woman uh, in labor. Now is your time to grieve, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice and no one, no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. And then you have Paul saying, rejoice in your sufferings, in your sufferings. So what are joy robbers? These are the things that try to take away your joy. Jesus said, no one will take it away. But I, I, I see these things in people's lives as robbers, thieves of joy. That's what they try to do is to steal away the joy in your life and specifically the joy of your own salvation, the joy of the fact that you are not at war with God anymore. He declares you righteous. He gives you his Spirit. He transforms your life, and yet these joy robbers come in to try and steal it away from you. And here are four 
that, that I'm sure people in this room have experienced or are experiencing or you've seen in the lives of others. And they're in no particular order, but the, I think a common one, sickness, disease, health problems, and I say physical and mental health problems. These things rob people's joy. Nobody says, oh, I'm so, I just enjoy being sick. Just enjoy it. Now, Paul's not saying enjoy being sick. He's saying rejoice in your suffering. Because now you can look at that suffering and you can spin it. It's trying to take your joy away from you. It's an enemy in your life. You, 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 sickness is not your friend. Disease is not your friend. Physical health problems are not your friend. Mental health problems, and I say that specifically because there are many Christians who struggle with mental health issues silently in the church. Many. These things are not your friends. These, you don't say, oh, I'm just so happy I have these problems. No. You, but you can look at them, even them, and say, these things can, if I look at them in a certain way, actually produce hope. They can produce perseverance in my life, character in my life, and hope in my life because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not even that sickness or that health problem is going to rob me of the joy of my salvation. That is what it wants to do, is to rob you of it. There's a woman that I'm thinking of in, um, in kind of well-known across our, our fellowship, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada in our nation, and uh, her name is Joanne Goodwin. Some of you probably know who she is, and this lady, I mean, she, that, one of the funniest people I've ever heard, and a terrific communicator, and also very, very uh, open about her own struggles with mental illness, very open. And this is a woman who has learned that is not going to steal my joy, you see. And you can let something like that steal your joy, but she won't. And she will spin it on its head. And she, this will produce perseverance and character and hope in her life. And so th you can look at even that and say that God somehow in his big plan, even that can be used to produce hope in my life. I will take an opportunity to talk about our global workers a little bit. We've got two of them in the room, thankfully, here. Don and Marie Jose Mann and Marie Jose's parents are here as well. And uh, folks, like people who do what these folks do, they live this. They live this, okay? And uh, Pastor Don has, has uh, spoken in this church many times and very open about his own battle and his own experience as they as they walk through his health challenges and cancer and so on. Folks, they live it every day. It produces character. It produces perseverance. It produces hope. Hope, folks. Like if you want a little dose of hope, you need to hang around these people. <laughs> you, you, you'd be amazed. Like if you didn't know what the challenges were, you'd never know. You'd never know. 
because they're beaming with hope. But that doesn't just happen magically, folks. That's because of a way of interpreting the circumstance and saying, hold on here. This is not going to steal my joy. I look at the Charbonneaux who are in, in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince. Folks, I don't know if it's ever been that bad over there. They're, they just posted, uh, Louise posted something on Facebook a day or two ago. Folks, there are police rioting in the city against the conditions of other police being killed by gangs. It is so bad over there. It is so violent over there. People get kidnapped every day. People get shot every day. These folks have been running a church filled with children and young adults for a quarter of a century over there. They have lived through it all and seen it all. They've seen their son thrown into prison, uh, could have easily been killed in prison, and barely, they barely got him out. I remember those years when, when the nation uh, of churches in our movement was praying for that kid to get out of prison. Folks, they've been held up at gunpoint. They've been robbed. They've experienced health problems. You name it, they've experienced it, folks. But you, you sit down with these people, and they're, they're hope-filled people. And also really, really funny. I don't know if humor is a way that this works, but really, really down-to-earth, hope-filled people. I look at EJ, who's, who's over in the urban Toronto. I thought it would be good for us as a church to support a worker who works in Canada, specifically in Canada. And his most recent uh, uh, newsletter back from Christmas, he, he, he talks kind of about this, you know, and he, he quotes from uh, Lamentations, a book that nobody really, really likes, and he says, the challenges we have all faced the past couple of years can lead us to two outcomes. We can either rush to move on or dwell on the hardships. The narrative of the scriptures allow us, allow for us to live in the tension of both realities. Whereas we lament, we remember, recognize, and process the darkness we have experienced, recognizing that within misery there is cause for hope. Who can say that, folks? A Christian can. Someone who understands the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The same hope that the prophet Jeremiah speaks of in the book of Lamentations where he gave voice to despair, acknowledged the darkness in his soul, yet maintains that there is still cause for hope. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Lamentations chapter 3. Folks, they live these things every day and understand these things Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, injustice, uh, abuse, violence, persecution. Christians are not exempt from these things. Christians experience these things. Non-Christians experience these things. But the way that you react to them and the way that you process them, will you let them steal your joy? Jesus said you don't have to. No one will steal your joy. Your enemy wants to steal it from you. The person who abused you wants to steal it from you. Maybe some of you have been victims of violent crime. They want to steal that joy from you. You don't have to give it away. 
They may be able to take your, your, your health from you. The sickness may take your health from you. The, 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 the injustice may take something from you, folks. But you don't have to let it take your joy. Folks, you can experience things in life and you can lose, lose, lose. You can lose everything. But you don't have to lose your joy, your joy. Our worship leader today, Simon, I mean, this is an experience that we live through as a church as he it lost his wife to cancer at not even 30 years old, folks. Not even 30 years old. The cancer can take you, it can take your loved one, but it can't take your joy. It can't take your joy. Not unless you give it away, but you don't have to. You can say, no way, the suffering will produce perseverance in me, it will produce character in me, it will produce hope in me, not even death can kill a Christian. Did you know that? Not even death can kill you. Broken relationships steal people's joy. Bro they're, and their families, relationships are broken, and the extended families, work, school, broken relationships steal people's joy. Folks, you can't control the other person. You can't control them. Who can you control? You. So as far as it depends on you, you have to do what you're supposed to do according to what God says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. Well, they don't love me back. Is that your problem? No, you can only control you. You can't control the other person. You can't control your spouse. You can't control your kid. You can't control your parents. You can't control your workmates or your classmates or your teammates or whatever. You can't control them, but you can control you. Are you going to let them steal your joy? Are you going to let that broken relationship steal your joy? You shouldn't. Not if you're doing what God has called you to do. Leave the other person to God. Let him work on them even as he works on you. But don't let the broken relationship steal your joy. People in financial stress, they raise the interest rate again in Canada, again. I mean, people are going to need a mortgage to buy a pair of shoes, the, the way, the, in comparison at least. I mean, back in the 80s, you know, you're paying 15%, 18% on a house, right? Some of you folks remember when you bought back then. Now it's 8%, 7%, but it's tripled in a year. People are in financial stress, 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 stress. Can steal your joy. Folks, your bank book doesn't determine your eternal destiny, folks. It doesn't. It that has nothing to do with it. Your net worth is not your worth before God. You may struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. It, you don't have to give your joy to the bank. You can keep your joy. And you keep doing what you do, and you say, God, I keep on going, I keep on working, because the suffering produces perseverance, and the perseverance produces character, and the character produces hope. At the end of the day, you get hope, and hope does not disappoint. Everybody loves hope. Everybody loves hope. That's what we want in life is hope. Give me hope for tomorrow. And in the gospel, you have the solution. And it's so good, folks, that nothing in the world can take that joy from you. Nothing, nothing you experience can steal it 
unless you unless you don't know that unless you just say i'm just suffering and i'm just miserable i'm just miserable all the time folks you don't have to be and i and i'm not saying that you have to be one of these one of these christians who fakes it you know how are you doing oh fine and you're miserable no, no, God never called you to be a fake and to put a sort of cookie cutter smile, praise the Lord and say, you know, Christian things all the time and quote these Bible verses, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose, smile. In, in, in meanwhile, you don't believe it. You're suffering. You're miserable. God never called you to be a liar, folks. But what he said was, hey, look at your suffering in the eye. And realize that that suffering can do one of two things. You can let it steal your joy or you can spin it. Say, no way, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere because Jesus died for me and rose from the dead and I'm right with him. Ha ha, take that sickness, take that bank book, take that abuser, take that persecution. It's not going to steal my joy. And you keep going and you keep going. At the end of the day, you say, aha, I have hope. I sleep well, because I have hope for tomorrow. I have hope even beyond the grave itself. And this is what the people back then lived for and died for. You look at the lives of the people who wrote this book, especially the ones that we know in the New Testament. My goodness, folks, the suffering that they went through. You look at the very, very early church and the persecution that they went through. Revelation says they did not consider their lives so much as to shrink from death. They didn't value their lives so much. So they, they're looking at life a totally different way, folks. They're seeing it on the eternal scale. These people are thrown into coliseums and, and left to, to lions and gladiators and so on. It was a crime to be a Christian in the early days there. A crime, folks. And they would sooner die than give up their faith. Why? Because they understood this. This suffering is going to give me character and perseverance, and it's going to give me hope. You want to take my life? You want to take my body? You want to kill my family because I'm a Christian? Go ahead. You'll never, you'll never win in the end. We're, we're going to win in the end because Jesus died and rose from the dead. Oh, wow, folks, what a perspective. I mean, you can't... That's out of this world stuff, folks. But that's what happens when the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. He can give you that perspective. Let me pray for you as we finish today. Uh, if there are musicians here, you, you can come up as you want and, and play in the background. Lord, I pray for each person in the room, people online. Uh, Lord, we relate in one way or another to this somewhere. And, and we, all of us, Lord, have experienced it or are in a period of suffering in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that through the work of, of the Spirit of God, uh, you, would, you would touch people, you would speak to people, Lord, you would, you would move in people's hearts and in people's minds and in people's circumstances, God, and, and people would look at things with a different perspective. I pray for the one, Lord, who's just... They just feel like they're about to snap and they just feel like they're, 
they even even feel like giving up on God. Where is God in all of this? Has he left me? Has he, has he forsaken me? Lord, would you breathe life into that person? I, I pray for people who are struggling just with sickness and financial stuff going on in their lives. And it's just anxiety, anxiety, worry, uncertainty discouragement Lord would you breathe life into people would you would you breathe hope into people would you give people uh, the strength to take another step to persevere another day would you build character in people and ultimately the hope of glory the hope of eternity the 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 presence of the spirit Lord would you would you cause people, even in difficult, difficult circumstances, to behave in ways that are totally, totally unexpected, totally different, Lord, that we would have joy even in our pain, even in our sorrow, that there would be a smile on our face, not because of the pain, but because of the promise of Jesus. We are so thankful, Lord, that nothing can take away your offer of salvation to us your death your resurrection can't be changed can't be modified can't be wiped away it is our hope for today and our hope for eternity we pray together today in jesus name amen 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 god bless you today don't run out too too quickly enjoy the music as they as they play i'll be over in the front would love to talk with you before you leave god bless you have a great sunday
So right. 